0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Gladfield Malt. Gladfield are a family-owned business right here in the southern island of New Zealand creating craft malts that, honestly, they're, they're pretty kick-ass. If you're rocking all grain at home, then you can pick Gladfields up at pretty much any homebrew store in New Zealand, whereas if you're on the commercial side of things, get in touch with them at gladfieldmalt.co.nz. Today's guest is a professional distiller who focuses on brandy and all things grape based out of Seattle in America. He also runs a podcast that focuses on talking about pretty much anything to do with the distilling world. I've been listening to it for years and have picked up a whole lot of hints, tips, tricks that are really useful around the distillery. Anyway, let's get stuck right in with Elias Mastroganis. We are live. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Elias. It, is it
1: Mostogamas? How do you say your last name? Mastroganis. So it's uh, Greek. Yep. Yep. Ah, yep. Okay. Born and raised in Greece. So that's, uh, that's where my roots are. And that's essentially kind of the stream for the distillery and everything else that I do oh oh
0: right okay that's just suddenly the pennies dropped for me i had it mm-hmm. yeah yep. but before we even get into this man i need to say a huge 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 thank you i was telling you before we you know backstage mm-hmm. that i've been listening to your podcast forever mm-hmm. in terms of you know the the still it thing like literally from the beginning and i have learned so many random little tidbits of information that you dredge up from different distillers and it's, uh, you never know what's going to be meaningful further down the track, right? You get this little this little thread that you can pull on, something you learn, and then a year later it turns into something
1: crazy for you. Right, right. It's no. that gold nugget that you get during the interview that it's it makes all the difference. And I told you earlier too, it's, uh, you know, uh, it, it gets you out of the cave, quote unquote cave. You know, it's a, it's a good way to talk to people in the industry, talk to other people and kind of get their experience because everybody's. Totally different, uh, different path and how they opened their business and how they got there and the reasons why. So it's it's always good. Totally,
0: yeah, totally. Oh, so uh, do you want to tell everyone? about your podcast and where they can find
1: it? Yeah, yeah. So I started about five years ago, uh, right before I started my distillery, actually. So um, I was looking for information on uh, uh, how to start in the U.S. So um, I live in the U.S., born and raised in Greece, came here for uh, school, landed a job. And then about five years ago, I was looking what to do next. And, um, you know, my my parents kind of came in mind. My mom was a farmer. My dad Mason turned into a winemaker, and he was making a little bit of grappa on the side because in Greece, the the law is very similar to New Zealand, a little bit more relaxed, Mm. even though they're changing now, but 20 years ago. um, So those thoughts kind of came to me and decided, look, I got to do something to carry the family name forward. Uh, And nobody, to my knowledge, was doing Greek spirits. Nobody was doing grappa. Uh, some of the ouzo, which is the anise flavor, we can talk about that. And then grape-based brands in general. And um, decided to fly back to Greece. And it was around October, uh, November timeframe, five years ago, uh, when saw my dad, did a few distillations there, kind of figure things out. Flew back, filed for my LLC, and in the meantime, I was looking for that information. Okay, how do I start? What do I do? What? Do I, how do I file a license? What is, is the
0: process? Such a steep learning curve, eh? it, it is all the business stuff aside, just the distilling is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do,
1: on top. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there was no resource, and I'm like, okay, how do we? How do we go about this? And then uh, I was talking with a friend. He's like, hey, you should start a podcast. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. So I started looking around a podcast and distilling. We're very very few, and didn't feel right on what I was trying to do. I was trying to mix the business mm. with you know some of the distillation aspect and kind of figure everything out, marketing the the legalities. And even though it's focused most mostly in the US, it can some of the concepts apply. So yeah, started the Distillery Nation podcast five years ago. It's available on all major platforms, and uh, essentially I talk about my story. I talk about others. I bring distillers. I bring marketers. I bring lawyers. Everybody in between that has something to do with distilled spirits, uh, graphic designers—you know, pretty much everybody—and uh, talk about their experience, how they started, mistakes, uh, favorite books, kind of deep dive into their personal. We talk about their spirits, uh, anything in between that we can kind of extract some other information.
0: Yeah, that, I mean that—that's exactly what i've been taking from it <laughs> i haven't honestly i've been so busy lately i haven't been able to listen to anything but uh it, it's great to hear different things from different people mm-hmm. and and you just never know e- even if you bring someone on specifically to talk about the type of spirit they make or you know a spe- specific technique they're using you never know when they're going to drop a nugget of gold on the marketing or on you know just the creative thinking process or whatever so it's it's great man and yeah. I I fully feel you too. It's a, it's an awesome excuse, uh, getting to talk to people that you wouldn't be able to talk to normally. Right. I, I, if I was just some dude in a shared making spirits, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you. (laughs) So it's great that it's great that we can have a podcast to, to sort of share with other people. Mm -hmm. But personally, it, that's really nice just for me too. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> and I know you feel the same.
1: It's, it's the same exactly for me too. Cause otherwise I wouldn't talk to you guys. And I, I as I said, you know, I, I truly feel like that way that I'm probably going to learn a few things too. Cause as again, it's those tip little things that you go, Oh, it's, it's an interesting twist or mm. a, a different methodology or a different way of thinking things. And, as you say, it might help you now. It might help you maybe a year or two years down the road. So you never know. So uh, it's yeah. it's a big part, big part of this business.
0: Sorry, Distillery Nation guys. Uh, I would, I seriously would recommend it. if you're interested in uh, distilling for yourself, that's cool. If you're interested in starting a small, you know, micro or craft distillery, definitely. And uh, like you say, the or the the uh, the legal and the technical side of things from a business point of view, I guess, are more specifically American, but most of those things apply you know the world over if not in specifics in the uh the spirit of the rules i guess
1: Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. exactly exactly
0: so one of the reasons i was super keen to talk to you is that you do focus a lot on grape products right Mm -hmm. and uh, i have yet to make anything with any fruit i haven't done a single brandy of any description.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel like I need to pop my cherry or pop my grape soon. So uh figure that we could maybe press some info out of you, mate. And see yep. what we can get with this. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so, well, New Zealand is a great area. You know, I don't know where everybody else is, but, uh, you know, it's 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 a matter, it really starts at the vineyard, as you would say, with the winemaker. You know, I, I yeah. initially I put my winemaker hat on. So that's how I started looking at Producing uh, a brandy, almost four years ago, uh, when I initially started the distillery, the initial product was grappa for me. That's what my dad uh, produced, small quantities. That's how I grew up. You know, I grew up around you know essentially drinking wine and a little bit of grappa as I get as I got older. And so the concept was okay. Work with w- local winemakers, local wine wineries, source their their essentially pressed grapes. And, and produce a product out of that. That that turned out really to be a no-go from the beginning. I quickly learned that just producing grappa is really, really hard work. Um, yields are very small. Winers essentially are trying to um, squeeze every bit of juice out of, their, uh, out of the grapes, which un- is understandable. You know, a ton of grapes cost 2000 upwards of $2,000 in the U.S. Mm. Uh, so it's a, it's a very expensive uh, source um, to just let it, you know, uh, with its juice. Uh, so I quickly learned after the first year and a half, I think I tried it for two years, uh, sourcing from wineries, that that would not work specifically right. the grappa production. So yeah, I, I pretty much distilled quite a few grapes from reds to whites, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Malbec, Viognier, uh, Tempranillo, quite a few Riesl- Riesling quite a bit. Actually, now that's my focus and we can talk a little bit about that and why is mm. that. Um, but yeah, if if you're looking to kind of the, the one-on-one for good brandy, um, I could summarize it potentially in a few things. So firstly, use really high quality grapes. Uh, If you can actually get the grapes, press uh, or get the juice, vice versa, depending on the type of equipment you have, uh, you can really um, distill skins on an element, right? You gotta be really careful if you have uh, elements inside the still. There's some possibility to be able to do a protection around the element uh, to help. Um, I don't use that type of methodology, so potentially something to play around. But for me, it's been mostly direct fire pot still for at least for the grappas, and if I have elements or some other direct heat, it would be probably just the wine. Yeah, um, because
0: there's no solids kicking around in there. There's
1: less chance right. of scorching. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So and yeah, that's
0: a, that's a big yeah. problem for for small producers, right? It's 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 really hard to get a good system in that that small setup that's efficient and makes sense you know if, if, if you're a large producer there's ways around that but anyone that, at home that gets really tricky really fast mm-hmm. and micro distillers is tricky as well so do you want to jump back and i guess let's talk brandy first right i don't know i, I feel like i feel like that's probably a little bit more accessible to people because of the reasons you're saying it's just it's it's easier to go through the steps i think to make yeah. brandy potentially yeah, yeah. so yeah. Do you want to start at the beginning and and you said that you need a good quality grape but what does that mean like what are you looking for in a grape
1: definitely look in what the region is known for that's what what i look for in washington for example i live in washington so uh again again i'm trying to be honest um i i look at potentially what's usually the largest producing uh white grape variety in washington Mm. state in this case it has to be riesling uh, I actually got really lucky with Riesling in Washington. It produces really uh, kind of the perfect distillation, at least in my opinion, uh, because it's um, uh, if picked correctly, it's uh, high in acid. It's naturally high in acid. Uh, still mature, so it has enough bricks uh, or mm. sugar to be able to ferment, and uh, fairly aromatic and barrel ages very well. So, going back to the the grape, look for what you can actually get at a recent or a decent price, uh, potentially red or white, uh, but treated as a white. So, if you if you are experienced with making wine, if you get a red grape, uh, don't ferment on the skins potentially. Uh, more experiment too, you know, it's, it's really up to the, the, the distiller too, but always found to uh, treat the reds as a white. So you ferment on, uh, you don't ferment on the skins. So essentially a very light pale, uh, if it was a a red, if it's a white, again, you essentially distem and press off the skins right away. And then you ferment the juice. Uh, It's always a deal. If you do the, the, the other way where you would ferment on the skins, it produces a, a fairly heavy type orange wine. And also uh, that translates into a heavy brandy in terms of flavor. Right. Um, but yeah, treat treat the, the, the juice as you would as a white wine, essentially again, ferment on, um, on not the skins. I try to select grapes that again, can mature uh, fairly early, but uh, keep their acidity. Uh, so uh, I'm looking between 18 and 21 bricks. That's usually my pick for grapes. Mm. Some of the the whites, like Vionnet, you might be able to pick at a higher bricks. Uh, Riesling does really well between 19 and 21. That's usually the sweet spot that I'm picking when it's seasoned.
0: So I have heard that you, you don't want a really sweet grape, right? And that mm-hmm. because it ends up leading to a kind of a flabby, sort of oxidized cooked fruit rather than a, a fresh, bright flavor in, in the finished brandy. Is that something you would agree with?
1: I agree. Yeah. Essentially, one of the key okay. components is the the acidity. You'll hear brandy producers in, in cognac and all over the world that acidity plays a big role in distillation, and there's a reason. It, it produces a fairly a wine that is not really uh, has a lot of character by itself. If you were to do it as a table wine, mm. uh, but one distilled that acidity actually binds with a copper, it, it metabolizes based on the fermentation. And actually if barrel aids properly it can produce very high a- automatic and um, really great brandies. So acidity is really, really key, which is explained. If you're drinking wine, it perks the side of your, your tongue, you know, kind of, you can feel it. So that's usually a a sign of uh, an acidic wine.
0: That's probably not a bad way to to compare it. Actually, if you know, for people that aren't in the wine industry, if you took a a table wine and then a a wine that was produced to make for brandy and you tasted both of them, what would be the main differences that you'd pick up between them to give people a, a, a target to aim at when they're fermenting it, I guess
1: uh that's a very very good question the probably the the biggest one would be the body you will see the 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 wine for brandy it's very thin very light bodied uh not a lot of not a lot of flavor just it's usually a very acidic juice that's what i would say it's not bad uh you still get the characteristics of the grape but it's just very very thin Uh, versus something that, you know, a Riesling that it's made for table wine consumption, very aromatic, it's mineral, uh, a lot of full body, usually medium to full body, so definitely a big difference in terms of uh, flavors.
0: All right, so yeast selection, uh, you mentioned that earlier, and then we yeah. moved away from it. I imagine yeah. that that's going to play a huge role in something
1: like this, right? It does. And before we jump into yeast, I want to mention no sulfites. So that's that's the oh, yes. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really big uh, into brandy production. You don't want to do sulfites at all. You can potentially add very tiny amounts if you have for, you know, if you're going to let the juice sit for a really long time. But uh, I've had really good success. On wines that are sitting for three, four months uh, with mm-hmm. no sulfite and turn out really, really good as, as a brandy. So try to avoid sulfites just because it, it actually affects the brandy a lot. You uh, uh, if you dis- if you were to distill a wine that has sulfites, for example, right away you get it on the nose. It's uh it essentially burns up your nose if you start mm-hmm. smelling even the heads and some into the hearts too uh you can actually um it just overpowers and that translates into uh the flavor in the barrel aging process later so i had examples where when i was starting i'm like okay i'm just gonna go buy uh wine uh you know wineries don't use wine anymore you know or get it at a cheaper rate purchase it and then distill it okay you know it turned out okay actually you know in the beginning heads really heavy hearts okay worked okay barrel aged it and actually can now two years in, I can see a big difference between a barrel that has been uh, treated with sulfite. So essentially a winemaker gave me wine Mm. and then the, the barrel that I produced that had no sulfites. So essentially I did everything in house and it's a big difference And um, uh, to the people that I've tested, uh, that come to the distillery, they can immediately tell the difference as well.
0: That, I'm really glad you covered that because I, I was yeah. actually going to forget it, and I get I get that question a lot, even though I've never done brandy. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are always asking me, "Can I just go to you know Trader Joe's or something and pick up some two buck chuck and throw that through the still?" And that that was something I've heard sort of second or third hand knowledge. I'd never really talked directly to someone that you know has a some authority on brandy, so it's nice to know that that. You know, there, there's much better ways to do it yourself. Yeah, I
1: mean, you can definitely do that. You know, there's no harm in doing it. Uh, maybe you want to experiment in the off-season. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, it will not produce a, a really quality uh, uh, product. So it's just, you know, it's okay to kind of test and figure things out. But I, I wouldn't personally drink it. Well, I guess uh, you've got
0: two things going against it too, right? You've got the, the it's a fuller-bodied wine, less acidity like mm-hmm. we talked about in the beginning mm-hmm. and they, and it will have sulfates in it at, you know, if it's a off the shelf supermarket wine, um, yeah. So yeah, both of those things going against it, you, you're already on the back foot. right? And,
1: and honestly, to be honest, you know, wine is chemistry, right? If you were, if you were to ever produce wine at a, at a commercial level, it's really at that level as a, as a chemistry equation, it's not yeah. a really a wine anymore. So they add a lot more things to it than sulfates uh you know they thin it out with bentonite very good point. uh yeah. the other uh, you know they acidify it if it's not acid enough they deacidify it if it's uh, acidic um mm. all kinds of processing to make it just perfect for the consumer that buys it at two at two dollars right because yeah. they, they're trying to hit that flavor profile so something like that you know it's been through so much that it's not going to produce anything quality in my opinion but Again, it's good to kind of... It's your training wheels, potentially.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, right? Yeah. So assuming that you have uh, managed to get hold of just grape juice and you're about to ferment it, let's talk Mm -hmm. yeast. What are you looking Mm -hmm. for in a yeast for brandy? So
1: uh, I've honestly messed with a few yeasts, primarily the Lalvin uh, side. So Lalvin 116, 118. Uh, I've done... uh, um, a few of the aromatics, uh, W nine. I have to. I'm trying to remember the name or the acronym. Uh, but uh, so all those are good. Uh, the the two first ones are usually you know the champagne geese type strains. Really good workhorses for pretty much. 90% of the wines out there. Um, usually now I shifted a little bit to some more specialized yeast based on research that I've done. Uh, the uh, I was able to find one that was pulled out of the cognac region uh, mm. and it's uh, FC9 is the actual name of the yeast. Um, There's a little bit of, of that. The Lavin. Uh, okay. Lavin. Yep, as well. yep, yep. 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 So, uh, I believe in. Uh, I was the first one to import it in the United States, based on oh, wow. Scott's Laboratories. You know, because I reached out and like, do you have this? And I'm like, nope. So they made some calls, imported it, and it. It. We have to wait because I. I started using it last year. Uh, so I'm not gonna be able to actually, for sure, um, tell if it's gonna make a really big difference. But in terms of fermentation, fermented really aggressive, very clean fermentation. Uh, and I think based on the, the brandy profile coming off the seal, I'm really happy with it. So I think it's going to be producing nice. really good barrel aged stuff as well. So um, you've got
0: it all the way through until you've, you've got that product into a barrel now. So you're happy with it all the way through. You're just not, I mean, who knows what it's going to be when you put it in a barrel, right? You just have Yeah. To
1: I can give you a little bit more details soon. The distillation aspect, because that's, that's, uh, that's key. Um,
0: yeah, let's let's do that. But let, let's uh, let's cover off the the fermentation stuff first. Mm-hmm, Otherwise, I'm going to mm-hmm. forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so, are, are you looking for a a characteristic that is added by the yeast, or are you looking for the yeast to just get out of the way and have a totally clean ferment? That ferments really dry, and is it more about uh, kind of the logistics of it of it doing its job quickly, or are you actually looking for flavor contribution
1: from yeast? Uh for sure flavor contribution. So I do I I try to do very long fermentations if possible. Uh the longest that I've done is 30 days as of Mm -hmm. last year. So that's been the longest. And and I don't do glycol. I don't have you know, I'm a really basic old school distiller just because I'm a you're not
0: controlling temperature Mm -hmm. at all. No, no, no.
1: So it's usually either open top or Stainless mm. steel with some bubble cap type. You know, I have a um, a few bigger tanks that uh, I will ferment. Yeah, so it's it's fairly uh, native, I would say, with the exception of adding that commercial aspect. I don't mm. do. I started doing uh, yeast uh, hydration protocols. Um, I stopped doing that. I don't find a need for that. Um, if I'm producing wine, that's a totally different story. Um, you want a little bit more. Uh, again, of that body and the aromatics in terms of preserving it. So I might add some uh, yeast nutrients uh, if I was to make a wine. But uh, yeah. for the distillation aspect, it's usually just yeast. And that's it. So it's I, I try to shoot for at least a two-week fermentation, if not longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, no glycol. Let it run its course. Uh, the yeast that I've run with, uh, they they usually are within the range. So, Uh, whatever uh, Scott's laboratories in terms of, you know, um, uh, where the yeast will hit and what temperatures is usually within that range, even without, without glycol or anything else. So uh, knock on wood have been for the last four years have really good success with that aspect. So what sort of flavor contribution are you specifically
0: looking for from the yeast? Are you looking for more, um, are are you hoping that it's going to spit out some funky esters and acids that are going to go forward and, create more esterification later on or are you looking for a specific flavor from the yeast itself or how are you going yeah that?
1: i wouldn't say specifically li- flavor from the yeast um honestly my opinion and um based on my limited research that i've done over the, the few years it's what happens uh, when the wine sits on the lees that's i think where ah, okay. a lot of the the flavor on the brandy happens so I let the wine sit on heavy lees for at least three, four weeks uh, before I even start distilling. So um, I think I I do believe that contributes to the the flavor of the the brandy that I produce and the the style of brandy that I'm trying to produce. And uh, that just happened by accident, honestly, just because uh, my first year, that's when I started distilling. You know, it took me a while to get things going the the wine sat in big totes with the dead yeast on the bottom. And I do think that yeast releases uh, it kind of keeps the, the wine fresh and it does release some nutrients and some oxygen back into the, the wine. And that, that just contributes to the moth feel that happens later on in part of the barrel aging process.
0: Okay, cool. All yeah. right. So uh, I, th- I guess it's time to move on to to the distillation side of things now. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else we are missing in between?
1: No, yeah. No, okay. yeah. We're going to cover some of the basics, yeah. So, so distillation in my in my situation and again, you you can experiment. I I go a little bit against the grain and I single distill. So, oh, no wow. no double distillation. Um I do really very very hard cuts on what ends up in the barrel. Uh, And really, it depends on what you're distilling. But based on my experience, uh, I solely distill Riesling right now. So that's all I do with a a small, tiny exception. And I kind of know the grape now. So by four years, I kind of know what to expect, how things should come. But yeah, I I start collecting heads that get separated. Then I go into hearts between um, 74 all the way down to about 35% alcohol. That's usually my my kind of quote unquote hearts cut yeah, wow, that's what, all way
0: right down to the 35. 34. Yeah,
1: thats yeah, that's what ends up in the barrel. So I want to collect some of that, you know, the, they call it the sweet water. Uh, mm-hmm. some of the tails, even though I think it's kind of taily, but it's not really the the fruit brandies. they don't have the same tails as grain. Uh, it's not as a cardboard oh. based flavor. It's really very aromatic, very sweet. Uh, and in my opinion, very pleasant mm. not something that I would drink in quantities uh, but uh, when you add that in barrel or you know you do some other stuff it it produces really high quality stuff so that's usually my cut and that's that's it so I do a single distillation single pass i don't I don't do tails just because of my logistics in, in my opinion it's it's too time consuming and uh, a As lot of you
0: energy you don't save them and re Distill you don't add anything from the last distillation nothing, back into nothing. the Nothing. Yeah. Generation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I continue like that and then uh, heads usually end up, sometimes I might redistill them, but mostly ends up for cleaning purposes. So I, I use them to clean tanks, sanitize, mm-hmm. etc. So what
0: sort of still are you running to get? Cause I mean, obviously it's going to be a, a relatively high ABV uh, wash compared to some other things, but what sort of still are you running to get those, those numbers? on a single pass.
1: Yeah, so that's one other detail that we missed actually uh, as part of the, the grape selection, right? So if you select grape between um, the 19, 21 range, let's say 21, you're most likely going to end up with the, with the initial potential alcohol of about 11, 12-ish. Uh, that's usually high. If you look at cognac, they're much lower. Oh, well, wow. okay. Uh, they're actually in the nine eight, sevens range. So they pick (laughs) a lot earlier in terms of sugar selection. Um, So I think that's where my advantage is, even though because um, my acidity is still there, I can pick a little bit higher. So my my yield is a little bit better. So yeah, that's one of the the important factors that we missed earlier is uh, the potential alcohol. So yeah, when I do the distillation, it's essentially, again, between that, that 74 to 40, 35 range, um, that 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 I collect. Uh, the type of still that I use it's two. I have I started with a pot still. It's a direct fire pot still, and then as of three years ago, two and a half, I added essentially uh, a Genio, which is a a, a vodka column type s- situation where it can hit a little bit more higher proof. Um, and uh, my earlier brandies were purely pot distilled, even though I do a pot mode on this guy on Genio. Uh, these days it's a combination of the two. So it's uh, pot distillation, pure pot distillation plus the genio width, which does add some rectification on, on top.
0: Okay, so and are you running the are you running the Genio in pot still mode? So yes. it compresses yeah. your head and then you yep. drop back to right. So it starts mm-hmm.
1: at a high ABV. Right for a pot and, still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for the Junior side, it's it's really very slow. I I in terms of how I run it. I you know, in terms of kilowatts. So right. reduce it down seven and a half kilowatts and very, very slow type distillation because it kind of mimics, I think, the pot distillation on on its you know, sister still for for right.
0: So you're producing on both stills and then blending before it goes mm-hmm. into the barrel? Mm-hmm. Ah, okay, interesting. Yeah yeah all right so let's talk let's talk that blending process and and then through to barrel aging are you aging everything or are you releasing white brandies as well
1: I, I started doing whites and they didn't sell very well so I'm actually hmm. cutting cutting them out uh, I still do a grappa that's key to to what I do but that's not really a, a wine based it's usually the skins so it's totally different product but yeah I started doing a, a unaged a brandy that it just didn't well, it didn't sell very well, in my opinion. Um, Do you think
0: that is a throwover from the whiskey world, where if it's the, the white know, dog, like the white whiskey's just mm-hmm. shitty, crappy, cheap stuff?
1: It could be. It could be actually. In my opinion, it's the naming here in the United States. Mm. Uh, so you have to follow the TTB, and the rules say that you have to call it immature brandy.
0: Oh God. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's <laughs> <That's> so bad. <laughs> yeah, so the naming itself is uh it's really bad to begin with. So right. Yeah, that uh, doesn't
0: exactly leave you much wiggle room for making it sound like a premium product, yeah, does it? Yep, yeah,
1: yep. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, we tried.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So you're gonna you're gonna age this stuff. Uh let's talk about your your entry proof and mm-hmm. your wood selection. Yes.
1: So entry proof, really, really, really important. And I, I'm trying to remember the book. Again, I got really, really lucky. So when I when I okay. first initially distilled, uh, based on that cut, it came in at mm-hmm. around 50 to 55. That was my range. So I had my hearts. When I measured uh, proof, it came out in that range. I'm like, okay, that's good. Of course, because you know, you're
0: going deeper into the tails, like yeah, much deeper yeah. into the tails yeah. than most whiskey producers would.
1: Right. right. So I'm like, okay, it tastes good, smells good. I'm okay, you know, with... Quote unquote, the limitation. So, I that's what I added in 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 barrel for the first couple years. And then, as of last year, I'm trying to remember the book, I don't remember it, but I can follow up on email. Start looking okay, how cognac does it, and what is you know, some of the science behind entry proofs for grape based distillations and essentially the equilibrium for maximum flavor output and uh, just. Ester combination is right at fifty-five. So uh, right now, I try to hit that level, and with the combination of the of the column, and that's one of the main reasons that I got it is because when I start reading that that research and that paper, I'm like, okay, how do I can actually increase my proof just by a little bit? Uh, because the pot still was a little bit below the the combination of the Duke distillates actually hits that fifty-five percent right on the mark by combining oh, wow. the, the distillates and uh that's what i do now so i do 55 percent entry proof for all the barrel aged stuff
0: oh well, okay so you're not you don't have to proof anything down it just so happens that the pot still and it the, just the happens yeah. Still together <laughs> yeah
1: yeah They're and actually little accidents eh? i know yeah and honestly i think it does happen for a reason you know you look back and those little accidents some people call them deficiencies in your production some people call it you know luck I honestly think it just, it's meant to be, you know, so um, mm. it's its just the right proof for based on, the, on those papers and the research.
0: I guess it's almost like survivor bias, right? There's, I mean, imagine if people a thousand years ago or whatever were making 500 different products and three or four of those found these happy little accidents that made something delicious, it would make sense that if one of those things was called brandy, and that yep. was a happy accident that people would keep making brandy through till now. And we would know what it is. Whereas there might be something else with a name that we've never heard of that was made back then. And they didn't find a happy accident. People would just stop making it, even though it might be a problem you can solve. And they don't. you know, now, now mm-hmm. we can find different ways of making it delicious. It, it, it I a hundred percent believe that you can believe in those happy accidents without it being a weird existential or, Magic, or you know, it's it just makes sense. It's
1: logic. <laughs> it, it sounds weird, but honestly, when I read that paper, I actually got goosebumps because I'm like, "Oh shit!" You know, it's it's actually it happened for a reason. I I truly mm. believe it. You know, I'm not that superstitious, but I I truly believe that you know things happened for a reason, and um, based on my experience, that's kind of true in in some situations where things. You you do a decision and you do it for a different reason, but then you kind of go back and look at it for you know maybe a couple of years back and like okay I can see actually why this happened because it developed into this or this mm. happened. Uh, so uh, be optimistic because um, yeah. it's, it's it's a hard business too, you know. Oh dude,
0: yeah, and and the uh, the the efficiencies and the yield that you're getting out of anything fruit or grape based mm-hmm. compared to you know, what are you paying for grapes compared to what you pay for corn in America? Yep. But, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to actually, I think I have the book here. I forgot the, yeah. So it's a fermented beverage production. Awesome. It's a really good one. Page the edition, I see. Yes, page 207. Traditional observations seem to prove that the this equilibrium is optimal for interme- intermediate alcohol content. So 50 to 55%. It's a really cool. good book, by the way, for any kind, whiskey, uh, cognac. Awesome.
0: I might have yeah. to see if I can pick up an e-version of that. Mm-hmm. It could be, a, could be good, some good reading while we're all stuck at home at the moment. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So what sort of barrels are you using, man? Are you using French or
1: Yeah. So mostly, primarily, actually, ex-wine casks. So uh 59 gallons per uh, I don't I don't do uh small with the exception, I'll I'll mention that. But yeah, again, going back to the business. You know, I own the business, money comes out of my pocket. So it was um looking at what my dad was doing, a lot of the inspiration comes from him. Um so he was using for his wine making a lot of old casks, you know, very neutral. Uh, barrels that were you know 50 60 years old because mm-hmm. they were passed right. down generation to generation so I'm like how are these old school guys were doing it and making really good product uh, so I decided okay how do we replicate this here cost of barrels are really really high you know if you buy brand new French limousine oak it's a thousand mm-hmm. bucks yeah um, so if you were to put you know four or five barrels down a year even more again I'm a small producer that's a lot of money to just put down on on barrels. Uh, So I'm working primarily with a few winemakers that I know. Uh, Firstly, dump wine barrels once they do their bottling. Excuse me, come to me. And that's what I I exclusively use. So it's a combination of French oak and Hungarian oak. Uh, The kevet that I mentioned earlier, I do use uh, some uh, smaller casks. Uh, maybe uh, either neutral, if you can find them, or or bourbon. The reason why I do that so between um, eight gallons to fifteen gallons is usually ideal. I set those on uh, uh, essentially aside as as a flavoring component uh, okay. to keep my batches com- uh, consistent. Um, wow. So yeah, so when I dump, if usually my barrels because again some producer are single barrels, uh, so my bottlings are just. 59 gallons or maybe a little bit less based on uh, Angel's share Uh, to kind of keep the batches consistent. I will pull uh, some of those smaller casks that are, you know, bourbon or something very similar and blend it in. Um, The bourbon smaller casks extracts more oak, more, more, a little bit more flavor, but the color as well. So that gives it that consistent across batch over batch. Yeah, right. So it's, if you were just producing it for yourself, Like your dad,
0: that's not something you would necessarily go into. That's that's Mm -hmm. purely a a commercial consistency for you know, for retention of customer in the long run, so they know they're getting what they're gonna get within reason because it's craft spirits. But do do the small barrels age faster, or is it because they're so neutral, is that you're really not looking for much of a wood? component in the aging it's more oxidization and micro oxidization and esterification and all that good stuff
1: so honestly i wouldn't use for brandy i wouldn't use small casks in my opinion I, again the yeah. the audience here might be a little bit on on the smaller side so you might use them but you got to be really careful because uh what you're gonna end up with especially with the brandies, is something that tastes like bourbon so if you, if you want something that tastes like bourbon or a whiskey, then, you know, small cask is ideal because you'll just over extract for sure. Yeah, so, right. uh, within the three to six months, that's probably enough in my opinion. Anything over that there, you're just going to taste the, 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 the stab and, and the wood. So all the character of the grape brandy will just disappear.
0: Yeah. Well, so that's why you're specifically looking for X wine X something barrels that's already mm-hmm. had a lot of that taken out and it buys you an extra couple of months or years or whatever it happens to be right. to uh, to let the brandy do its thing and the wood get out of the way.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, honestly, that's the now that comes into the next piece is, is like, okay, what's the ideal time frame? So by mm. law, I have to do two years. So my first couple of releases have been around that mark, two years plus, a couple months. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the feedback from competitions and uh, just around some of the people that have a little bit better nose than me, too, is leave it longer. So now I'm going to see if I can actually go maybe three-year mark and see if I can actually hold down... Barrels that are three years plus uh, as I release them just because of that neutral It takes a little bit of time f- for the brand to produce so uh, Cognac uh, traditionally you will see uh, They use brand new limousine oak for the first maybe six maybe a little bit longer uh, Six to eight months and then they transfer to old casks oh, So they, right. they pull a lot of the tannin and a lot of the flavor from the wood and then they transfer to older casks for it to kind of uh, essentially calm down mature and um, be ready for bottling when they actually bottle it. So that's one of the tricks that they use. It's a combination of two.
0: That is the the most thorough overview of brandy I've ever had. <laughs> so that, that's, that's awesome. I, I think for me personally doing something that is a waste stream from a winery might actually be, be what I can do sometime soon, just cause we need mm-hmm. such small volumes to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And, I'm sort of wondering what you think I should go after. So there's very few people making anything grape-based distillation in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. But if I ever did go commercial, uh, that was kind of a a thought for me that maybe the the waste streams are not, you know, utilized here. And there was two things I was thinking of. One was the grappa, and I've heard of Lee's wine, uh, Mm -hmm. Lee's wine Mm -hmm. brandy as -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Do you want to give us your thoughts on those and perhaps give some thoughts to people if they are, you know, if they have friends in the wine industry, if they have contacts or if they just have, you know, a local winemaker that they could go and knock on the door and Mm -hmm. perhaps ask for something, what would you ask for? And at what stage in their process would would you get it off them?
1: Right. So as I mentioned earlier, I started doing this very similar thing. I thought I had a gold mine. I'm like, I have about a thousand wineries in Washington state, you know, everybody throws their stuff out. I'm just going to go pick it up and make grappa, right? It's, it's perfect. Uh, The problem, as I mentioned, again, they, they squeeze the crap out of it too. You know, it's very, very, they, the yield is very low Um, in the United States. In order for it, for you to call it grappa uh, you cannot add anything else to it. So you cannot re-ferment. That's what a lot of people do. They add sugar, water, and they re-ferment their skins press off and then they distill that right so yes you can potentially do that in my opinion that's not really how grappa should be produced even though you can potentially make a really good product that way again that's a little bit biased a little bit old school that's how i grew (laughs) up you know um you can you can make it that way um uh, but again if you're looking to make it Potentially a commercial, I don't know the laws there, but it, it mm. could be something to think about how you, you go about it marketing-wise too. Yeah, when, when you work with a winemaker, look to see potentially if you can buy grapes on your own, if, if that's a possibility, and do it on your own. Because the, then you can control the press and potentially make a little bit of the wine into a brandy and reserve some of that juice with your skins. To, to make a grappa because your yields are going to be bigger because you can actually control how much juice remains on the skins.
0: What is ideal for grappa? Actually, if we start from that point, I guess then people can go looking for it and get as close to it as they can. Right? So if, you know, what sort of ratio of how pressed they are and how much juice is left in them to skin to do you want stems and seeds and, you know, all that sort of stuff. What, what do you, well, point, the, I mean?
1: the easiest test is when you put in your still and it's just thick, right if you just you can't really distill there even if you put water your alcohol level and your yield is not going to be a lot so mm-hmm. you you need you can add a little bit of water to to accommodate but usually has to be very aerated right like otherwise you'll st- stuck with with a cake that you're going to be scrubbing for for a long time <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, so consistency wise that's usually the easiest way uh, you you need quite a bit of juice um, yeah. in, into the mash, and then you can again substitute some water to 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 sub for that. You again, as I said, you can re-ferment. That's another way to to kind of again maybe go for a first run if you can't really buy grapes.
0: They they're gonna give it to you unfermented, right? If you got it right when it was pressed, right? Yeah, exactly. So you, would you would you pitch yeast into that to ferment it, or would you you let can it natural, you can
1: or? yeah you can add water and referment it that way. That's mm-hmm. that's one way as well. Yep. Um, uh, again, I don't do it that way because I, I, I'm i sourcing 100% of the grapes myself. I can control... I essentially, for the grappa program uh, on its own, I ferment on the skin. So essentially, I make an orange wine mm-hmm. and then uh, that, it distills 100% like that. So very small batches, but they're reserved for grappa production that way.
0: Oh, so, you, so you're not you're not squeezing the grapes taking the juice for something else mm. you're just you're oh okay i understand so yeah
1: i i the stem so yeah essentially what i do is i bring grapes uh, just specifically for grappa production
0: right uh, so you they're you not meant just to to get the the juice out of the the skin exactly. But you keep it all as one entity and then mm-hmm. ferment like that mm-hmm. right
1: essentially as an as a red wine uh which is very not typical for the brandy production that's we said Don't do that, Uh, but for the (laughs) Grappa one, uh, that's that's how I do it, and I've had really good success with yields, uh, and with flavor profile. So, uh, but yeah, that's the other way that you can actually do it. If you're if you're sourcing white grapes, you can definitely do um, essentially get the skins, add water, add the yeast, uh, and and ferment that way as well. That's that's been uh, that's a good way as well. And
0: for people that are playing at home, right, they don't have the the mm-hmm. uh, the TTB regulations or the you know commercial s- sort of specificity needed of what you're doing. All you're trying to do is really appropriate a spirit spirit, right? You're not, you know, if I'm making scotch at home, I'm not making scotch. I'm not in Scotland. I'm just making something that, to me, tastes like a product that I would buy from Scotland. And right. you were saying you could get into the the sort of area of you you get literally just the skins that are almost press dry you can add water back into them and sugar back into it or you could add any sort of sugar sauce essentially you could add grape juice back in or Mm -hmm. honey or whatever you want but the real key here is that you're distilling it on the skins right the the skins go into the boiler into the pot whatever you want to call it that Uh, is the key exactly that's sort of the the thing that is going to make taste like grappa right
1: Mm -hmm. exactly
0: so, other than the facts that you need a still that won't scorch those skins um, and burn everything to a crisp onto the element, is there any other sort of difference in process than mm-hmm. what we went through with the brandy?
1: Yeah. So the the grappa is double distilled for sure. So just because of the skins component, the skin component, mm-hmm. uh, you'll get a much oily. Type distillate. You actually see the oils in your collecting bucket. You know, Mm. Um, so it it does require. Even though, again, even if you do very uh, precise cuts and very aggressive, you'll you'll get that. You know, um, oils and it's going to be cloudy. It's just part of the the pectins. I think part of the skins and the seeds that contribute to that so the honestly the biggest difference is that i double distill so i I, again i do very hard uh uh, cuts on the grappa very similar to what we talked about the brandy usually 74 depends on where the the starting alcohol is all the way down to 40 35 um and then uh once excuse me i have enough i do a a redistillation
0: so then i'm assuming you hit higher percentages for your your Mm -hmm. kids hearts mm-hmm. tails for your your spirit run then, right yep exactly okay cool so what sort of numbers are you pulling uh for grappa for your your final distillation
1: so it, it usually as you said it starts at a at a higher maybe around 85 90 uh, coming off the still and uh, i usually it really depends on the type of grape but usually around 80. Uh, to 79 that's usually when i start kind of sniffing a little bit more often and seeing where the hearts will come and um potentially again for for a really good quality grappa 50 would be my 55 oh, wow. 50 would be my okay. uh my my cut and then again it depends on the grape source how good the grapes were were they moldy you know all that good stuff that goes back into how how good of your grapes were
0: so i also wanted to ask you some of the grappas that i've had that have mm. been uh, given to me by people that have traveled because i've i've not been anywhere personally that you know is, is fully into into grappa but most of the ones that have been brought back a tiny little you know a, a little restaurant will be running a still in, in the back garden type thing and they bottle just for themselves so i've never really understood whether what i'm tasting is a, a representation of the spirit you know a, of a good spirit or the the spirit in general. Some of them are quite clean and they taste brandy, but a little bit, a little bit more musty, I guess. Uh uh And then it goes all the way through to, you can taste like crazy wild ferment flavors in it. There's funk and there's craziness, not, not a tails funk, but fermentation funk. Uh Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and I've almost I've kind of fallen in love with that. Yeah. Is that a standard thing, or is that just some weird, badly made thing that that, that they've given me?
1: Well, I can guarantee you, it's probably a white grape, must potentially muscat. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you remember, maybe the the type of grape. Even if you ask, uh, that's a that's a typical uh, orange muscat, which is essentially a type of grape that gives it that very very aromatic, but also the the muskiness. Mm. Uh, in in terms of the flavor profile on on the nose. Uh, It's probably one of the easiest types of grappas to produce just because it's highly aromatic uh, and it's easy on the palate as well. For somebody that hasn't tried grappa before, uh, it's usually easier for them to be introduced into a a grappa that's been produced from a a white, highly aromatic white grape versus uh, Merlot or Cabernet Sauvignon, which is Really earthy, very very straightforward, and it, it really depends on the type of grape that you are using too. Mm. Uh, it really depends on how it was processed, how they fermented it, uh, how long was sitting around. Uh, that's the other problem with grappa. You gotta you gotta move quickly. You can't just sit it, have it sit for three four months. It, within a couple of weeks, it has to be processed, which is. One of the biggest problems, right? You got to have the equipment, and the, mm-hmm. uh, that's why you, if you see the Italian uh, distilleries, they're that they're doing solely that, they're just built for that. You know, they have big conveyors, uh, they have um you know process to dump the 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 grappa skins after distillation it's just a big machine that just works around grappa production and not anything else really
0: that's crazy i'll take i'll take a photo of the bottle and i'll send it to you i think i've still got the bottle there somewhere and i'd Mm -hmm. I'd be interested to to hear your take on it because it's definitely i don't know what it is man but it's definitely it you know it's it's almost akin to a hogo rum like it's got some Mm. crazy weird esters going in it that i i can't see any relationship to grapes <laughs> yeah. in it. but it's 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 delicious but um i do like i do tend to go for weird strange things <laughs> This is just my my flavor profile mm-hmm. but i i thoroughly appreciate it man the uh, the the vintage is coming up here in new zealand and like i said i've never tried anything uh fruit based let alone grape based so i think i really need to dive into it this year uh i know one of the guys that i talked to that uh is a home distiller here in new zealand as well he calls it grappa after grappa so he he takes the the skins and then does the the adding water and 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 then ferments it Mm -hmm. it. yeah Mm uh and i think he actually takes it off the he'll drain it off the 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 skin Mm -hmm. so you know distill that and then Mm -hmm. do it again if that makes sense, yep. uh, to make the most out of it. And I guess if you're not commercial, you can you can kind of get away with those sort of things. Exactly, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I thoroughly appreciate it, man. I, I love the information. Uh, there's so much there for me to process that I'm not going to be able to process it now. So <laughs> <laughs> I will be listening back to this as I'm editing it. I can't thank you enough. Thank you for the podcast. That's been a huge help to me and I'm sure other people as well. Uh, thank you for the time now. Thank you, and- Jesse. I appreciate it. My pleasure, man. And for anyone and everyone listening, uh, make sure you go and check the podcast out. You know what, dude? I don't think we ever mentioned the name of your distillery.
1: Yeah. So the distillery is my last name. So Mastroganis Distillery or social media at Greek Distillery. So that's the the way to go. Easy.
0: And you're operating operating out of Seattle, right?
1: Lakewood. Yeah. So it's uh, about 30 minutes off Seattle. But yeah, Washington State. Uh, I would say I'd love to come and visit you, but... Mm-hmm. It's always mean a... that's gonna be, <laughs> <laughs> with yeah, with the current situation. I know. All much. right,
0: man. I appreciate it. I thanks, appreciate Jesse. it very much. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for hanging out, everyone. I gotta say, with the vintage pretty much running right now, slash coming up soon here in New Zealand, I am pretty keen to get my hands on some grapes or even some pressings and have a play with some of these things that Elias has taught us about. Anyway. Thanks for hanging out, guys. Don't forget that this podcast was brought to you by Gladfield Malt. Kick-ass craft malt made right here in New Zealand. Gladfieldmalt.co.nz. See you next time.